Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our Connections Director, Jen Lewis, for this week's message. So it's our fourth week into the book of Mark. And what's so funny is we're not even going to make it out of the first chapter. We've been going for four weeks and going slowly enough to kind of soak it all in as we go. And um, we're not even going to finish it out today. I love that. I love the fact that we're taking this time to slowly soak in the word of God this year. You know, I think these kinds of sermon series are good for us every once in a while to do. So this past summer, my family and I traveled to Canaan Valley for vacation. And we visited, while we were there, a place called Smoke Hole Caverns. I don't know if you've um, ever been there, but it's at the bottom of the Dolly Sods Hill, and it had this huge tourist shop. And one of the activities that they normally offer, now they didn't this year because of COVID, but normally they they offer this activity where you can sift for gold or gems. And so basically what you do is you buy this overly priced bag that's a mixture of sand and rocks and gems and maybe if you're lucky some gold. And you're supposed to take it out to this little aqueduct-like thing, Um, and there's running water, and you slowly pour the mixture into a colander where the water runs through, and you eventually wash away all that sand and rock, and you find the hidden gems. Well, my kids love this. I mean, every time this is offered anywhere we go, they want me to pay the, the crazy price to do it. What's interesting is that they don't just look for the gems. I mean, sure, the first activity, the first part of this whole process, yes, they're, they're sifting through all that and they're looking for the gems. But for days after, they, they study the gems. They notice all the cracks and crevices. They, they decide if any of them look like animals. They, they sort them out from best to worst, from biggest to smallest, from um, most colorful or um, most liked and disliked. They, they trade them among their, their siblings and their friends. They put some of them in special boxes and and maybe even sometimes make jewelry out of it so that they can see them every day. Studying the word of God slowly like this, I'm convinced, is looking for gems. It, 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 it's, it's like a child sifting through all, all the mixture of sand and rock to find the gems. So in this series, we're taking the word of God and we are looking for the gems that we see. You know, we take in so much information every day. And in this process, we get to look closely at the word of God, at its intricacies, its nuances, its history, so that we begin to to let it mean something more to us than just, just how it would feel if we looked at it, acknowledged it was valuable, and then looked, moved, you know, moved on, looked away. This week, we're going to look at three different small sections in chapter one that 
seemingly show us three unrelated stories. But what I noticed as I studied was that there is kind of at least one overarching thought that threads its way through all of it. And I want you to keep your eye out for it. So the thought is, and you can write this down if you've got a journal. Um, I'm keeping a journal right now. So if you're doing that as well, you can write this down. But the one theme that I kind of see all the way through is that Jesus has authority over all things. Jesus has authority over all things. Now, we're going to go into more detail as we go along, but, but write that down at least. So last week, Myron taught um, about the earlier events um, in this chapter and specifically about how those events point to Jesus's humanity. Well, this section shows us, yes, that Jesus is human, but it brings uh, something else out. It shows us that not only is he human, but he brings with him an authority that is beyond human. Now, the definition of authority is the power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. Now, what's incredible about Jesus, and we'll learn this along the way as we go through this journey, is that even though he has the power and the right to demand we do things, to enforce our obedience, oftentimes he doesn't use that authority and that power toward us in that way. He allows us to choose what we will do with him. He lets us decide what we will actually decide to do with his authority. And what we'll see in this section is that Jesus has power in his teaching and in his leading and in his, his actions that are more than just merely human. So let's get started. We're in Mark um, chapter 1, and we're going to be start in verse 14. It says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So what we see here is that John the Baptist's ministry is now finished. He's, he's done. Whether, whether people realized it at the time or not, he was put in prison. He wasn't going to get out. And so Jesus sees that all this has happened, and he said that it was his time. He, you know, it's, it's interesting when you think about John the Baptist, he had said he was the one who was to prepare the way for the Lord. And so he had done that. So he had accomplished what he was tasked to do. And then here comes this moment where it's like the attention moves from John the Baptist to Jesus. I think about it like in a Hollywood movie. If, I, if, if, if this was like modern times and in a Hollywood scene, like I would picture Jesus kind of looking around and hearing about John's arrest and just saying, let's do this. Like it's time to start his public ministry. He knew that and he had waited 30 years to begin. So here he goes. And he says it with confidence and authority because he knows that he is bringing the kingdom of God with him. In essence, he is bringing God's rule and reign with him as he comes. Remember, he's the prince of that kingdom. He has authority. He has the power and the right to do what he's about to do. So then... He repeats something that John the Baptist had been saying his whole ministry. He says, repent and believe. 
Now, let's look closely at this gem, this idea of repenting and believing. You see, Jesus was telling us something very important, something that he tells us over and over again. A lot of times, you know, it's, it's convenient for us to think about Jesus and how he loved us and how he told us, you know, he taught us the golden rule and he, he taught us such lovely things about having compassion on others and that God is love and that Jesus um, came to die for us. And, and, and those things are, are so fantastic. I mean, and he did all those things and he was all those things, you know, and um, you think about people describe Jesus as mild and meek and and full of love and compassion. We know all that. But I think sometimes the world is so happy to receive Jesus's message of love and compassion that we like to ignore the fact that Jesus also said, get rid of the sin in your life. You know, some of us don't like to focus on the fact that Jesus is not okay with sin. You know, we, we, we love the example of Jesus um, with the woman caught in adultery, how he's protecting her and, 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 and telling others basically, look, you don't have the right to judge her because you're not perfect. But we also like to skip over the fact that in that same story, he looks at the woman at the end of the ordeal and he says, go and sin no more. You see, Jesus is not okay with your sin. He's not okay with my sin. Because love is not merely ignoring our sin problem. Love is freeing us from our sin problem. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. You know, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he's referring to the rule and reign of God in our lives and in the earth. He's referring to the authority of God throughout the earth and throughout his creation, and it includes our lives. Wherever the kingdom of God is, God's authority rules, God's authority reigns, and that means we have to submit to it. What's amazing about the kingdom of God is that what seems so upside down and crazy is what actually brings us true freedom and true life. Our submission, our surrender to God is actually what ushers in our freedom. And we play a part in this process. The part that we play is repenting and believing. This means that when we see sin in our lives, when we recognize it for what it is, we don't just ignore it. We aren't just flipping about it or, or turn you know, kind of just ignore it. No, we turn away from it. We recognize that it's disobedience, that it's choosing our own way over God's way, that it's us basically ignoring God's authority in our lives. The other day, my family um, was eating dinner and we were having, we have salad bar night where we have all kinds of different toppings you can put on the salad, but one of the toppings was chicken. And I specifically put chicken on everyone's plate. And my one daughter will just call her Sally to protect her identity. You know, it's kind of nice to have four children because I can talk about them in my sermons and you don't really necessarily know which one it is. 
But anyway, so she didn't like chicken. She never likes chicken. Um, and she didn't want to eat it. And I told her specifically, you need to eat those two pieces of chicken because you need that protein for your body, you know, for the nutrients it provides. But also, you need that chicken because if you don't eat it, you're going to be hungry in the next 10 minutes. And I don't know about you guys, but if you have kids at home during this time where we've been, you know, virtual and at home, I feel like they can eat every five minutes. So I wanted to fill her up with some protein that would stick with her. Well, right after I told her this, I turned to go get something or do something, and she quickly snuck the chicken to her sister, who she knew would love it, and her sister just gobbled it up real quick. She ignored my wisdom. She immediately disobeyed and did what she wanted to do, disregarding what I, what I told her to do. Now, I saw this because I'm a mother and I have eyes in the back of my head, And immediately, her disobedience had consequences. She and her sister got in trouble for disobeying and ultimately for lying to try to cover it up. And then, of course, 20 minutes later after dinner, she was hungry. Her mother was disappointed. so So she felt bad. Her sister was mad at her because she got in trouble too. And honestly, she was not looking forward to the fact that she was gonna have to wait at least 12 hours until breakfast. Now, This is, I understand, a very trivial and simplified picture of what sin is in our lives, but it does show on a small scale what happens when we disobey. You know, God is not up in the sky, mean old man with a list of rules to make our life difficult. No, he knows best. Just like I knew best, she needs protein. And God knows that when we sin, we hurt our relationship with him, we hurt our relationship with others, and it brings unpleasant and sometimes very bad consequences into our lives. And ultimately, sin never satisfies. Jesus doesn't want this for us. He's not okay with this. He knows that sin gets in the way of our relationship with God. He knows that when we choose to disobey, we go down a road that's full of death and hardship and pain. So Mark records in Jesus's kind of let's do this speech, what is very important to him and what he said more than once, several times in his ministry, repent and believe. Repent. Get that sin out of the way in your life. Recognize it for what it is. Ask for forgiveness and turn away from it. Get right with God, and then not only repent, but also believe. Believe that Jesus not only has the power to forgive, but is willing to forgive. And believe that that it is actually his gracious response to our repentance that leads us to a place where we can fully experience the life God has for us. This is why repent and believe was such an integral part of God's good news, of Jesus's gospel, because there we find, when we repent and we believe, we find freedom offered and freedom found. Now, what I don't want you to miss here is our theme, because what we see just in this beginning section is that Jesus has the moral authority to tell people to repent. He is the only one in complete, unified, and right relationship with with God, unhindered by his own sin. And he's the only one who can call us to something better. Now, does that mean that once we repent and believe, we must never sin again? No, because God knows. He knows we, we are incapable of perfection. 
We are never to get comfortable with our sin, though. When we see it and we realize it, we repent again and we believe in his grace and in his mercy again. Now, let's move on. We're going to be in verse 16 now. I've gone two verses. Woohoo! As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, I'm sure you can look at this and probably think, um, who just drops their work at a moment's notice to follow some man? I mean, did Jesus use some kind of Jedi mind trick to kind of woo them in a trance to come and follow him? It just doesn't seem to make much sense. But this is when the other gospels come in real handy. Because what we find out from the book of John is that this is not the first time these guys had heard or seen, heard of or seen Jesus. The book of John tells us that Andrew had watched Jesus be baptized by John and had heard John say that Jesus was the Lamb of God. So we can only guess that he shared that with his brothers and the other fishermen friends. But then if you look at the book of Luke, you will see in chapter five that there is a whole other reason why these guys followed Jesus. I mean, it, wasn't, it doesn't even have to be enough that they knew that John the Baptist had said good things about him. I'm not going to tell you what's in Luke chapter 5 because that's your assignment this week. Read Luke chapter 5, I think it's verses 1 through 11, and then you'll ab- absolutely understand why Jesus chose to, or why these men chose to follow Jesus. So do that. But needless to say, Jesus didn't have to use a Jedi mind trick to get them to follow him. So remember also the whole idea of the four gospels. God has used those and intricately woven the story together among all four of those so we get a bigger picture. Mark's goal here is different than the other gospel writers. He is writing to not, not to necessarily show how they were called, but what he wants to show us here is that they responded with complete submission. They responded by acknowledging his authority. Authority. And there's our theme again. To call people to follow him, you had to, for anyone to call people to follow them, you have to have some sort of authority. And what we see is that not only do these men choose to just follow Jesus for a day or a week or even for a season in their life, but ultimately, if you read the rest of the Gospels, you see that they gave him literally the kingship over their lives. They submitted everything to his rule and reign. They they didn't just even submit to him the bad things in their lives, like their sins or their bad influences or their distractions, but they submitted to Jesus everything. Their careers, their their families, their identities, their relationships, their finances, their dreams, their, their plans of the future, even their perspectives of the world. Everything was Jesus's. They submitted every area of their lives to God's rule and reign, to the kingdom of God. And they are examples to us as to what we are called to do ourselves 
that we are not merely um, just to kind of quickly glance at God and move on, but we are to follow him with everything, submit everything. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean God's going to call us out of our career or make us leave our families. In fact, for most of us, he's not going to do that. But to be a follower of Christ is more than just praying a simple prayer and saying, Jesus, come live inside my heart. I mean, it can begin with that. The the whole idea of repenting and believing starts with a prayer like that. But that's only the beginning. When we want and decide to follow Jesus and to become a Christian, we are submitting to him and saying, Lord, I give you everything. I give you authority. I give you everything I have. I submit my career. I submit my family. I submit my dreams, my plans, my finances, my, I, my very identity, my sexuality, my perspective on the world. And in the amazing kind of upside down truth of the kingdom of God is that when we do that is when we find freedom. And not only do we find freedom, but like the disciples here, we also find purpose for our lives. Okay, now let's look at this next section of scripture. It says, uh, this is verse 21. It says, they went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. Now, this was not unusual. There were... um, because the temple was really in only one location, people couldn't get there to worship every Sabbath. And so synagogues were built all over the country where families could come together and, and, and learn and worship each Sabbath. It was also where young boys would come to learn um, the traditions and the religion um, throughout the week. It was not unusual for rabbis to travel from synagogue to synagogue to teach people. You know, kind of like what we think of when we think of an itinerant pastor who would travel like maybe all over the frontier or in rural areas. So Jesus took this opportunity when he was in this town to teach at the local synagogue on a Sabbath. And then it goes on. It says, Uh, The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Did you catch that? He was teaching with authority. This was authority that was different than what other people had taught. Now remember, because of this whole system of the traveling rabbis, it wasn't like Jesus came in and really showed up the one pastor that they had and they realized, wow, he's kind of a lame pastor. No, they had heard lots of of rabbis. They had heard lots of opinions, lots of teaching. And Jesus blew them away with his knowledge and his skills. He was markedly different. Now see, in Judaism at this time, the kind of the the way that rabbis would teach is that they would verify the authenticity or the authority of what they were preaching um, by quoting other rabbis and, and pointing out the fact that lots of other smart people thought like they thought. So it was common when they would teach to point to or quote other teachers and, and 
and point out what others have said. But what we know is that Jesus didn't do that. He didn't need to do that. What we see is often in his teaching, not necessarily here specifically, but in other places in the scripture, we see him say this phrase over and over again as he starts to teach. He'll say, I tell you the truth. Or in the King James Version, it will say, verily I say unto you. But basically what he's saying there is, I swear in advance what I'm saying is true. He never looked to the authority of others to verify what he said, because ultimately he is that authority. He didn't feel the need to use others' um, opinions and words. Now, I want to read to you out of the book of John, chapter 1, I want to read to you what it says here to make a point. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now I read that because that's John's description of Jesus. What we see there is that Jesus is the very word of God. He is the embodiment, the essence of all scripture. He is the fulfillment of all lived out in the flesh. And so unbeknownst to them at this point, of course he had the authority to teach the scriptures because he's the author of the scriptures. Because Jesus is God, he knew exactly what the scriptures meant and how they applied to each of the people sitting there listening. Of course he had authority in his teaching. Of course he had the power and the right to teach these things because he wrote them. He thought them all up. Verse 23. Oh, I got to go back to Mark. It says, just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching? And with authority, he even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Now, what is so interesting about this is that we see demonic activity. And for a lot of us, when we read that, we don't know where to put it. Demon possession? Exorcism? I mean, aren't those just ideas of Hollywood like dragons and fairies? We like to believe that evil power like this is, is totally made up and doesn't really exist. I mean, after all, it's really kind of unsettling to think that uh, demons could have their way in humans. And honestly, science has proven some of this to be a little bit interesting or at least worth looking at because um, some things might have been explained away. Some psychological things might have been explained away throughout history as being a demonic possession. You know, um, but, but what has happened is we can go too far into saying um, 
basically dismissing all demonic um, possession as something that is a mental illness or something like that. What we've found and what we have learned is that sometimes people are sick with a mental illness because of a chemical imbalance in their body or because of some trauma in their lives. But sometimes, like in this example, it's a spiritual attack. Now, the last time I preached, I taught on angels. Um, you know, those good spiritual beings that do God's bidding in the unseen world, in that spirit realm. But just as there are angels working in that unseen world for good, there are also fallen angels called demons that work in the unseen spiritual world for bad. And they do the bidding of the devil. They weren't created by Satan, but they choose to follow him in his rebellion against God. And so these demons work hard to tempt people to sin and, and to make it difficult to live on earth. You'll see, um, in particular in the Gospels, that the demons were very active during this time on earth, and this time when Jesus was alive. And theologians believe that they were allowed to be especially active during this time to show that Jesus had power and authority even over them. And we see that here. The Spirit knew who Jesus was. He recognized him as the Holy One of God right away. He knew his authority and he was scared. You see, he, he could control and torture the man he was possessing, but he could not. He knew he was no match for Jesus. Because of Jesus' authority, he had to do what Jesus said. You know, Satan and his minions will never be more powerful than Jesus. They are powerless in the face of Jesus. He is the victor in every way. The powers of darkness and the power of powers of light are not equal in our world, and Jesus will always have the upper hand. They have to do what he says. So what's interesting about this is that the demon wanted nothing to do with him, but he still ultimately had to obey him. And you will see this over and over in the Gospels. When Jesus is in, a, is in a conflict with the powers of darkness, he always has the ultimate say. He always is the ultimate authority. Now, this leads us back um, to our theme that he has authority. Now, some of you may read this and have all kinds of questions, and I get it. This section of scripture and, and scriptures like this can be ones that cause lots of questions. And unfortunately, I don't have time to answer those today. But if you've got questions, keep joining us on this journey because we're going to be digging in and looking at those questions along the way. Now, as we close our time, I want us to go back to our theme and really think about the fact that Jesus has authority over all. He is the ultimate authority. Whether you surrender to it or not, he is who he is. His authority is there and available to us. You know, as Chris talked about it, um, about, you know, just Mark in general in the first sermon, he, he talked about as how you, as you read the book of Mark, it will require you to decide who Jesus is. You know, either he is who he says he is, the way, the truth, and the life, God in the flesh, the savior of the world, or he was some liar or lunatic. But what today's specific scripture makes us do is it makes us wrestle specifically with his authority. And really, I see that we have basically three options. 
We can choose to be like the disciples. We can repent and believe and follow. We can submit to his rule and reign in our lives. Or we can honestly be like the demon. Ultimately, we're still living under his authority because it is still his world and he is who he is, whether we believe it or not. But we can choose to deny that reality. We can, we can choose to have nothing to do with him, to avoid him, and even, even go as far as to rebel against him. Or I think we do have a third option. We can be like the people in the synagogue who witnessed his teaching and his miracles, who said, what is this? And we can continue to kind of seek out answers, continue to look into who is this Jesus guy? And what does all this mean? But the choice is yours. Because even though Jesus has authority and he has power to give orders and to demand obedience, he does not enforce it like that with us. He has decided to allow us to choose what are we going to do with him? You know, I think one of the main reasons that our society has responded the way it has to COVID, you know, with with so much fear and anxiety and, and, you know, the mask wearing, and now it's not just two masks, it's three masks. And, and I mean, I, this is not a, a message on whether you wear a mask or not wear one, but more of it is just the idea that we have responded with kind of this idea that we think we, we have some control. And I think really what it shows us is that we, can function in our society kind of denying our own mortality. Like we like to live with this idea that we are immortal. You know, we live in this amazing time and place where scientific progress and medical research have taken us to a place where we can expect to live a long life. I mean, a long life is is more often what people experience than than an early death. And we are often just shocked when a, when a young person dies. But throughout history, this has not been the case. And so what happens is that we kind of live in this denial that death is going to happen one day. And, and, and it even has allowed us to, to try to think we can control as much as possible. And if we do that, then, then we'll live long. And to some extent, this is true. But let's be honest, we haven't found the fountain of youth. And as much as we would like to not think about it, there will be a day where we will each have to stand before our maker. And we will have to explain that what did we do with the authority of God? What did we do with the kingdom of God? Now we can live in fear or dread of that day, or we can recognize that there's a loving God who made the universe and made each one of us. And he knows the day that we're going to, that we're going to die. He knew that day before we were born, virus or no virus. And he sent Jesus to come and to live this perfect life, this, this beautiful mixture of perfect humanity and humble authority who chose to willingly go to the cross to take the punishment that we deserve for our sin that we committed so that when that day comes for each of us, it doesn't have to be a day of dread, but it can be a day of celebrating the fact that we have fully, will fully finally experience the kingdom of God in our lives. And we will be able to see 
in a way that we were created to see and we will be able to live forever as we were created to live. And what's even better is that when Jesus said and when he talks about the kingdom of God and that the kingdom of God is near, the kingdom of God is at hand, he's saying it's, it's not just him talking about this like rule and reign on earth one day or this time when we finally get to heaven. The kingdom of God is not just one day to come. The kingdom of God is both present and future. It's not just when we meet our maker. The kingdom of God is both a place and it is a position of our heart. The kingdom of God begins when we repent and believe and it continues in our lives as we submit to his authority every day. The kingdom of God is near because you can have it today. You can have it by giving, giving your lives, submitting your lives to Jesus who has authority ultimately over everything. Let's pray. I want to pray specifically for those three choices and for the people who find themselves considering those three things I talked about. So pray with me. Father, I pray. I pray first for the person who wants nothing to do with you. Lord, if, if anyone like that is watching, Father, I'm thankful that they watched. Maybe they just came across this message on Facebook or maybe their parent is forcing them to watch right now. But Father, I thank you for them. And I thank you that it is not mere coincidence that they are hearing this message. And I pray, Lord God, that you would soften their hearts. Lord, that you would give them understanding where there's confusion that you would give them a heart that would long to know more of who you are. Father, I pray that you would soften them and draw them and help them to see the world the way you see it. And Lord, I pray that if they want to want it, but they don't want it right now, Lord, give them the desire. Give them the desire. And Lord, I pray for those who are still just not quite convinced they're willing to look into it more, but they're just not sure what they think. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would have your way in their lives. That as they read scripture, it would just come alive to them. That as they look at the world, they would just see your hand everywhere. That, Father, they would sense your presence. They would sense your pursuit of them. And, Lord, I pray that they would come to know your love and to experience it in their lives. And Father, I pray that you would bring them to a place where they're ready to repent and believe. And Father, for those who are listening who have never repented and believed but want to today, Lord, I lift them up to you right now. And if that's you, I, I want you to pray these, these words with me. Just repeat them after me. You can repeat them in your heart or you can repeat them out loud. And this isn't a magic prayer. It's just a prayer that kind of can help you start this process. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you that you willingly give me an opportunity to come back to you. I know that I sin. I know that I've done things my own way instead of your way. And I'm sorry. I ask for your forgiveness. 
And I thank you that Jesus died on the cross so that I could find that forgiveness. Father, I believe it and I receive it. Father, come into my life and help me to submit the areas of my life that I need to. Help me to follow you like the disciples did. In Jesus' name, amen. And Father, I pray right now that you would send your Holy Spirit to each person who's listening today. Lord, that you would fill them and draw them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.